Lord, you are holy. And multiple times in scripture we see holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Lord, we recognize that we are certainly not holy. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. But we thank you that the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, came to this world in order to seek and to save those who are lost. And that includes all of us, Lord. And we thank you not only, Jesus, that you came to seek and to save us, but that you also committed us to the ministry of helping others to find the life that's only available in you. And now, Lord, as we turn to Scripture and we see the example of the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago, we pray that you will give us the motivation, the inspiration that we need to be faithful witnesses for you in our world here in the 21st century. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Now, many of you are probably familiar with the comedian Jerry Seinfeld. I mean, he obviously had the famous TV show that was very popular uh, a number of years ago. But Jerry Seinfeld has famously said that according to most studies, people's number one fear is of public speaking. Their number two fear, according to these same studies, is death. And so Jerry Seinfeld has famously said that if a person were to go to a funeral, considering that the number one fear is public speaking, number two fear is death, then for a person who goes to the funeral, really they're better off being in the casket than giving the eulogy. And, I mean, it's an interesting thought to think about that. It shows, okay, probably our our fears and the way we rank them are probably a little messed up there. Um, But it's also interesting to consider this idea from a Christian perspective. Because from from a Christian perspective, death is no longer something to be ultimately feared. Yes, death stinks. Death is not something that is very comfortable or a very good thing. But at the same time, we know that when our faith is in Christ as Christians, we can have absolute confidence that what happens after we die is much better than anything we, we could ever experience here on this earth. So that's very good news about death. So our perspective on death changes, but also it's interesting to look at the idea of speaking. I mean, whether publicly or otherwise, there's a form of speaking in the Christian world that strikes incredible fear in people. And that speaking is speaking of the gospel to other people in the form of evangelism. I mean, speaking of public speaking, I've met many people who have no fear at all of speaking in front of crowds of hundreds or even thousands of people. But those same people, when it comes time to share the gospel with someone else, just in a one-on-one setting even, they're filled with fear, with timidity. Uh, They get all tongue-tied. And and they're all concerned about what's going to happen here. What's someone going to think of me? Am I going to have the right things to say? I think this is a very common experience that when it comes to actually talking with others about Jesus, even though we know it's so important to do that, we get kind of fearful. And there are a couple of different things that we can do to try to address this fear. One, uh, we can offer practical tips and training and how do you share the gospel? And by doing that, we can help increase our confidence when it comes time to actually share the gospel with those around us. And this training and these practical tips are something we try to do on a regular basis here at Freedens. And we do that to some degree here in the Sunday morning uh, sermons. We do it in Sunday morning classes. We do it in other venues as well, offering tips and techniques and training in how to share the gospel. And that's a very good thing. But there's also a second way that we can go about also increasing our confidence and our courage in sharing the gospel. Let me share an example to, to point to what the second way is. My father-in-law, Shelley's dad, is a park and rec director at a small town in Minnesota. And one of the things he does is oversee the local aquatic center, which is kind of like a water park with a pool there. And he tells the story how after the Beijing Olympics back in 2008, 
suddenly there was this massive swarm of people who wanted to start swimming on a regular basis. The reason? Michael Phelps. Beijing Olympics, Michael Phelps uh, famously won eight gold medals. I mean, it was an amazing experience for him. And, and across the country, not just at this one aquatic center in Sleepy Eye, Minnesota, but across the country, pools were flooded with people who wanted to start swimming. Now, we know that that, that inspiration, that encouragement to swim kind of faded for most of them very quickly. But it shows the power of an example of someone who is excellent at what they do, rubbing off and motivating ordinary, everyday people to try the same thing. And today we're going to look at the example of the Apostle Paul. I mean, we're not going to look at Michael Phelps anymore after this moment right here. But we're going to look at sort of the Michael Phelps of evangelism. And that would be the Apostle Paul because he was excellent at sharing the gospel. He was very passionate at sharing the gospel. He was devoted to sharing the gospel with anything and everything that moved, really. And in addition to training and techniques in how to share the gospel, one of the most effective ways, I think, to help us get motivated and encouraged to share the gospel is by looking at the example of others who are great at it and let their passion rub off on us. So I invite you to turn your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 16. We're continuing our series called Turning Points, in which we are uh, looking at the book of Acts, looking at the early church, and asking what are the key events and the significant shifts that took place in the early church in order to accelerate the spread of the gospel around the Roman Empire. And then we're seeking to take the principles from, from the early church and apply them here in our lives in the 21st century, to, praying that God would do similar things in our midst of building disciples and of spreading the gospel to the surrounding communities. And today's, uh, today's turning point is the idea of perseverance to proclaim the gospel. And we all know if we want to proclaim the gospel to those around us, it's going to take perseverance because we're going to have bumps in the road. We're going to have uh, fears at times. So we need to persevere. Now, late in the Apostle Paul's life, he wrote a letter to a young man named Timothy. Timothy was like a son to the Apostle Paul. And he wrote a couple letters to Timothy that we have recorded in Scripture. But in 2 Timothy, Paul records these words in in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. It's really a charge or a commission to the young Timothy. He says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season with great patience and careful instruction. Now, I think of what Timothy would have felt like when he read these words. He, at that time, was one of the leaders in a church in the city of Ephesus. But he certainly was not uh, an evangelist on the same level as the Apostle Paul. We have evidence that Timothy was probably a bit timid, not quite certain of himself and and everything that he had to do. And, And Paul tells him to do the work of the evangelist, preach the word in season and out of season, when it's convenient, when it's inconvenient, when it's comfortable, when it's uncomfortable, share the gospel with people around you. And I think, of, again, what would have gone through Timothy's mind, one of the things would have been, ooh, this is kind of scary. What am I going to do here? I really need to step it up um, and share the gospel more. But I also think he probably would have had a flashback to years before when he was first accompanying uh, Paul on his missionary journeys and how Paul embodied this call to preach the gospel in season and out of season, when it was convenient and when it was inconvenient. And today in Acts 16 and Acts 17, we're going to see firsthand accounts of Paul preaching the gospel when it was convenient 
and inconvenient in the season and out of the season. We're going to pick up the story in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. And this is Paul's second missionary journey as uh, takes about takes place about a year after his first missionary journey. And it says that Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take Timothy along on the journey. So we see this is Paul's second missionary journey. It's about a year after the first one. And he's returning to some of the cities where he planted churches in his first missionary journey. He returns to Derby. He returns to Lystra. And at Lystra, he meets a young man named Timothy. Timothy uh, is evidently a young follower of Christ. And something in Timothy causes Paul to say, I want to take you along with me on this missionary journey. We really don't know what Paul saw in Timothy exactly, but we can infer some things. Osirgood, Timothy was what could be called a fat disciple. Fat being an acronym for faithful, available, teachable. These are some of the core characteristics you want to see in someone um, if, if you want to see them grow in their walk with God and, and be an influence in, in the kingdom of God. I think that Paul saw that Timothy was faithful. Faithful in his relationships with other people and in his relationship with God. That Timothy was available, that he was not bogged down in so much busyness that he could not uh, be flexible to do anything for the kingdom of God, but instead he made himself available and he was also teachable. He was willing to take direction and correction and training from people around him rather than pridefully thinking he can do it all himself, as so many people, especially young people, think they can do. And so Paul saw in Timothy that he was faithful, available, teachable, he had a heart for God, and Paul wanted to take Timothy along on his missionary journey. And we, as, as we consider this idea of being a, a fat disciple, I think it's something that we also would do well to reflect on at times, to prayerfully ask God, am I faithful? Am I available? Am I teachable in, in all these different things? Because if we really want to grow as a follower of Christ, it's important that we embody these qualities. You know, many times we talk about potential, about the potential someone has in this or in that. And I think potential is oftentimes overrated. Because someone can have incredible potential, say, in school. They can get an incredibly high score on the ACT or the SAT. But so many people who have this incredible potential don't live it out because they don't apply themselves in school or beyond. I think of athletics, how there are so many athletes, some of whom I've even met before, who have incredible potential, but they never really live it out. They either don't devote themselves to what they're trying to accomplish or they get hurt all the time, or they aren't healthy, and they, they can't realize all their potential. I think of ministry. I've seen so many people who have, it seems like, a lot of potential. I mean, they, they have a lot of knowledge about Scripture. They have, um, it seems like, a love for God. But for some reason or another, they don't live out that potential. Oftentimes, it's simply because they don't make themselves available. They're too busy with other things, or they aren't faithful, or they aren't teachable. I know today is graduation for high schools in the area. And I want to speak for a moment to those of you who are graduating. I know you all have a lot of potential in life. But I want you to recognize that, that potential doesn't mean anything if you don't actually do something with it. And I want to encourage you as you step on into the next phase of life to strive to be faithful and available and teachable. Because if you live out these qualities It'll take you a long way, and you'll be able to accomplish great things for the kingdom of God. But if you are not faithful, if you're not available to God, if you're not teachable, it's going to radically hinder what God can do in and through you. 
But Paul saw that Timothy was faithful, available, and teachable, and he said, I want you to come along with me, Timothy. And this shows part of Paul's heart that, that he saw bringing along traveling companions on his missionary journeys as a form of discipleship. He loved to invest in, relationally in other people around him. And he took all kinds of people with him on his missionary journeys. Scholars have identified at least 19 people by name in Scripture who accompanied Paul on his various missionary journeys. And as they'd be traveling around the Roman Empire, Paul would be investing in their lives and living by example to build them up as Christ followers and as disciple makers. And for Timothy, he was about to embark on the adventure of a lifetime in following Paul on a wild journey through the Roman Empire and Paul's missionary journeys. We're going to see some of that adventure here today. But I want to move on to verses 6 through 10 of Acts 16 to see what happens next. It says that Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia to help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So we see that they're following the Holy Spirit's guidance, and they try to enter several different regions, but for some reason or another, the Holy Spirit stops them from entering those regions. We don't know exactly how the Holy Spirit did that, but they're seeking to, to follow his guidance. If you look at a map of Paul's missionary journey, you can kind of see these different regions up there. They're going one direction, trying to go, enter one region. Well, God's preventing them from going there. They're going in a different direction. Nope, can't go there. So they end up really the only place they can end up if they're following God's guidance, and that's in Troas. They had to go north and then west uh, to get to, to Troas. And when they're there, Paul has this vision of a man in Macedonia. Macedonia was over in northern part of Greece, what's today Bulgaria as well. And so what God was calling them to do was take the gospel to a land that didn't yet have it over in Europe. And, and they were taking the gospel to Europe, and as they went, we see here that they took along another traveling companion. Paul loved to bring along people with him. It was a great way of making disciples. And it's, it's a little bit hard to see at first, but... Um, who he's taking along here is Luke, the author of Acts. Look again to verse 10. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. You hear the, the, the first person plural there, the we, the us? Now Luke is included in this. We know that through a significant portion of the rest of Acts, Luke is another one of Paul's traveling companions going on these missionary journeys. So they're going over to Macedonia. Pick up in verse 11. It says that from Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. 
So this is an example of what could be called proclaiming the gospel in season. I mean, it's a time when it's convenient. It's a time when people are responding really well. See, Paul and his companions, they go to the city Philippi, a fairly major city at that time. And they go to what's called a place of prayer. Uh, typically, when Paul would enter a city, he would go to, to the synagogue first, the Jewish synagogue, in order to, to proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah. But in Philippi, evidently, there wasn't a synagogue because a synagogue required a certain number of Jewish people to be living there. And evidently, there weren't enough Jewish people for a synagogue in Philippi. But when there were still some Jews, but not enough for a synagogue, they would gather at what they called a place of prayer, which typically was outside the city along a river. Now, back when I was in seminary, Shelley and I had a bit of our own adventure of a lifetime, being able to go to Greece and Bulgaria and Turkey and to follow in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul. And one of the places we were able to visit was Philippi. And so, um, so they took us to a place that it was a traditional place where they think this place of prayer was. Uh, it was on this river that was uh, outside of town, upstream, so that it was a clean part of the river rather than a dirty part of the river that had all the waste and stuff floating down it. But, and as people oftentimes do, when you have some special place, they build a little shrine on that place. And so you can see up there that place that, that, that they think that this place of prayer was, where Paul met a woman named Lydia. I mean, it's a real place that you can go visit today if you wanted to. And, and so Paul meets a woman named Lydia there. Uh, she is a, a very prominent woman, a, a successful businesswoman. And she is what could be called a person of peace. Now, a person of peace we described a few weeks ago as someone who is receptive to the message of the gospel. They may not turn to Christ right away, but they still genuinely like you. They like being around you. And so um, Lydia is a person of peace. Paul preaches the gospel to her. She comes to know Christ. And she's so excited about this that she wants her whole household to hear the gospel as well. And the household in that time was not just immediate family. It also consisted of, of servants in the house, consisted oftentimes of extended family as well who all lived in the same house. So it could be a quite sizable group. And that's one of the other aspects of a person of peace, someone who opens up their network of relationships to the gospel. And Lydia is a person of peace who, who God works through to spread the gospel in her household and probably beyond there. And so Timothy, who's following along, young, young follower of Christ there, just along for the ride, um, living this adventure with the Apostle Paul, is probably thinking, wow, this is great. All we have to do is go here, tell people about Jesus. They respond. They invite us into their house. This is wonderful. But we have to recognize that the ministry is not always that easy, is it? And what Timothy was about to see next in the Apostle Paul shows an example of preaching the gospel when it's not quite in season, when it's not quite so easy. We see next, I'm just going to summarize what takes place. Paul and his crew spend quite a while there in Philippi. On a regular basis, they go out into the city, and they're just trying to tell the crowds about Jesus and see who responds. Well, one day, they meet um, this slave girl. Um, not their slave, but someone else's slave. And the slave girl is possessed by a demon who enables this slave girl to somehow tell a future in some way or another. And she earns a lot of money for her owners. And, and she is following Paul and, and, and the other Christians around everywhere they go, telling everyone, hey, you need to listen to these guys. They're going to tell you the way to be saved through Jesus. Now, you would think, okay, that would be kind of nice to have this walking billboard around you, wouldn't it? But at the same time, I don't think it would be all that nice. 
Because imagine, Paul's sitting there trying to have a nice conversation with someone, and here comes this girl saying, hey, you need to listen to these guys. They're going to tell you the way to be saved. That would be kind of annoying, I think, after a while. And Paul evidently got kind of annoyed. He got kind of troubled by this. And so he turns to that girl one day and says, in the name of Jesus, spirit, I, I command you to come out of her. And this demon spirit comes out of her, and she returns to, her, to just being a normal girl now. But her owners are incredibly upset because they'd been making a lot of money off her ability to tell the future. She was kind of like a fortune teller at that time. They were very upset, and they, they drug Paul and Silas and the others into the marketplace. That's a picture of the marketplace there in Philippi. You can even, in the picture on the lower right, you can even see the different, um, the walls that would be the different shops there in the marketplace. The, the slave girl's owners drug Paul and Silas and the others into the marketplace, grabbed the authorities, and started dragging up all these false accusations against them. Next thing you know, Paul and Silas, one of his other tra- traveling companions, are in jail. And, and you think about uh, how Timothy would have responded at this point. He's saying, man, okay, I'm following this Paul guy around. We're seeing God do a lot of cool things. And now he's in jail. What are we going to do now? That's, that's a picture of the inner cell of the jail where Paul and Silas were, were chained up in the inner cell, which was kind of this cave, and the jail would be built up around it. And they were there. I mean, this would be kind of one of those times that it would be kind of like preaching the gospel out of the season. Not one of the more convenient times. And Timothy, like I said, is probably wondering, what's going to happen now? I mean, we're out here. The leaders are in jail. We're not sure what's going to take place. I mean, it kind of reminds me of a time that Shelley and I had back in January of this year. We were in China bringing home our daughter. And we, we just got into a taxi with a group of others uh, there. And suddenly a policeman pulls up on a motorcycle right in front of the taxi. We'd just gotten into it. It didn't seem like anything was wrong. Except when the policeman came up, he, he came up to the window, the driver's side window of the taxi. And suddenly this argument broke out between the taxi driver and the policeman. I mean, it was, it was intense. I mean, we weren't sure what was going to happen. I wouldn't have been surprised if the police officer pulled out a gun and started threatening him or something. I mean, and we had no idea what was being said either because it was in Chinese. But we're sitting in the back wondering, what do we do? So I pulled out my camera and decided to take a picture. <laughs> only, only, though, after the police officer um, forced the, the taxi driver to get out and stand in front of the taxi. But we're sitting there wondering, what in the world do we do here? It's, it's a very awkward, uncomfortable situation. And we decided, okay, the best thing, I guess, is just to sit here and hope that no shots are fired or anything like that. Ended up, the taxi driver was just parked in the wrong place. Um, but he didn't want a citation. He didn't want more points on his license. And so it got into this very heated argument. But it was a very awkward position for us. And I imagine it was kind of similar for Timothy there. Where, I mean, he'd kind of gotten there on board with Paul. Suddenly Paul's in prison. He's wondering what's going to happen next. We'll never fail. Paul, as always, makes the most of the opportunity. He's preaching the gospel in the season and out of the season. You can listen to what they're doing there in jail. Verse 25, it says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. 
The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He must have heard the rumors of what that uh, slave girl had been telling everyone. They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and, your, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. So we see that Paul and Silas were there. They were in jail. I mean, certainly, and it wasn't, I mean, today's jails are incredibly posh by comparison. I mean, they were there in jail making the most of the opportunity, preaching the gospel in season, out of season, singing praises to God, praying. As they do this, God begins to work in that situation and opens the door for them to proclaim the gospel to the jailer and to his whole family. And so the number of Christians there in Philippi continues to grow and to grow and to grow. All because Paul is faithful to preach the gospel in season and out of season. I think what a testimony this would have been to Timothy and to the others around him. That's why in 2 Timothy chapter 4, when Paul tells Timothy, preach the gospel in season and out of season, why Timothy could have thought, you know, Paul, you're practicing what you're preaching here. And it would have been an incredible encouragement to Timothy as well. I think about us, though. This is a call for us to make the most of every opportunity that we have to share the gospel with others. If we try to wait for that perfect time to share the gospel, odds are good that perfect time is never going to come. We're just going to be finding excuses. It's always going to be kind of inconvenient. But if we could gain this mentality of making the most of every opportunity, looking for opportunities, maybe not to lay out the whole gospel for two hours, but even over the course of two minutes, just kind of sow some seeds for the gospel. See, see if the seeds take root. See if the person's interested in hearing more. It'll become a lifestyle where the pressure is off of us because we're just trying to make the most of every opportunity rather than waiting just for the perfect time to kind of unload the dump truck of the gospel on them. I think of this last Friday night. We had a funeral here for Irv Slunvot. And at the same time as we had the funeral, um, I had a, my life group was meeting at my house. And, and we had someone who was leading that, so it was all taken care of. But I thought after the funeral, you know, I don't think there's a whole lot of need for me to be around here anymore, so I'm just going to grab some dessert and go back there and spend some time with them. And I even told that to some of the women who were serving there. I told them, you know, can you all walk up and clean up after all this? Because I think I'm just going to um, head home and spend some time with Life Group. Well, it was about half an hour later before I got out of there. Because I started talking with people. Um, find that after funerals, people like to talk, which I already knew that. But it was confirmed to me once again. And I was talking with a bunch of people I'd never met before. And it was really interesting to see those conversations. For me, it kind of felt like that out-of-season type of time. A time was a bit inconvenient. My mind was elsewhere. But then God reminded me, you know, this is an opportunity that I'm laying before you in order to see if there are open doors for the gospel. And there was one guy specifically I was talking with for quite a while. And, I mean, he definitely was not a believer in Christ. I mean, kind of had some very interesting views on God and spirituality. But in the course of that conversation, we were able to talk about the importance of seeking what is true. Because I told him, you know, I don't want to be following something that is ultimately false. I want to be following what's true. And it makes a radical difference if there is a God or if there isn't a God. If Jesus is who he claimed to be, it makes a radical difference in how we live our lives. And so we talked about that for a few minutes. It was, I mean, it was kind of one of those seed-sowing conversations. 
But it's an example of making the most of the opportunity. Being prepared in season and out of season. When it's convenient and when it's inconvenient to sow seeds for the gospel in our conversations with people. Now we zoom ahead uh, to the rest of this uh, passage that we're looking at this morning. We see what could be called the tale of two cities, two more cities. Thessalonica, some people responded, but, but a lot pushed back pretty hard to the point where they had to flee Thessalonica at night in order to get out safely. They went to Berea. Berea, people received them much more readily. Thessalonica was kind of out of season. Berea, it was in season because people responded to the gospel. They were looking at scripture to see if what Paul said was accurate. They found it was and they wanted to follow Christ. But Paul is such a great example of preaching the gospel in season and out of season. When people are ready, when people aren't. I mean, he was sensitive to where people were, but he wasn't looking to his own convenience. He was looking at the need for the gospel. Now, we hear this example, and it's easy to get encouraged, but at the same time, it's easy to still be kind of discouraged of thinking, well, it's still hard to talk about Christ. I still get intimidated. I mean, I look at my life. I think of times where I've been fired up to share the gospel. I mean, at a time I was on a summer missions trip with Campus Crusade for Christ when I was on staff with them. We had a week called the Killing the Giants Week. Uh, killing the giants is when you are looking at those obstacles that keep you from being a witness for Christ and looking at other obstacles that are keeping you from growing in your walk with God and you're trying to kill those giants. You're trying to put those behind you. And one of the things you do is set goals for yourself in that week that will hopefully carry beyond. One of the goals is just looking at a growth area you want to address in that week and beyond and prayerfully seeking to address that growth area. The other thing we were asked to do is to pray about a specific number of people we want to share the gospel with that week. And it was kind of an intimidating thing. Um, some people just want to share the gospel with one person. They thought, okay, that would be a big step of faith. Uh, some people was 10. I thought about myself and I realized, you know, there are so many times in my life where I've kind of worked hard for a while and then I've let up before I've accomplished the goal. I think about times in track in high school. You know, I had a lot of good races, but I had a lot of races too where when I got kind of tired, kind of weary, I let up. And I could have pressed on and finished stronger. I thought of times in school when, when, you know, I had a pretty decent semester. But then you get towards the end, you get senioritis or you get the itch for the end of the semester. And you don't finish as strong as you ought to. And I thought, you know, I want to give this everything I have. One week, give it everything I have. And I set the goal for myself to talk with 100 people in that one week about the gospel. And, I mean, and I'm not a person who just wants to talk about the gospel for two minutes with someone. I don't want to do drive-by gospeling or something like that. I would be happy to sit down for several hours with people if they were interested in talking about the gospel. So I knew that, man, that's a big goal. And it was so cool to see through the course of that week what happened as I persevered. Was it easy? No. I remember on the last night, we had, I mean, the last night of that week, had 19 people I still had to talk with to reach that goal of 100. We were in Atlantic City, New Jersey, out on the boardwalk. It was one of those nights where it seemed like it was kind of one of those in-season type of times when, I mean, it helps when you're able to talk with a group of people at once. I mean, you can talk with like five or six people at once. But it was so cool to see, not only was I out there able to share the gospel, but people were receptive. People were genuinely interested in talking about Jesus. That was kind of one of those in-season times for me. I think about other times, you may be thinking, oh, Brandon, evangelism is a part of your life. It comes easy. Well, I think I have plenty of other times when I knew I should be sharing the gospel, but I wasn't. Or when, um, like in campus ministry, when I was on staff with Campus Crusade, 
We'd have times where we'd be out on campus just looking for people to initiate conversations with to see if there was an open door. I remember a lot of times of incredible relief when I'm like, oh, can't find anyone. <laughs> oh, this is nice. I mean, it's amazing how relieving that is because, you know, even for people who are out there sharing the gospel on a regular basis, you still get those butterflies. It's still easier to kind of give up before you reach that final goal of talking with people about Christ. It's not easy for anyone, but it's important to remember the significance of the gospel, important to look at the examples of others who do it well to gain inspiration from them. I want to close by reading um, a little statement from... Uh, he's, he's a comedian, uh, um, kind of an illusionist as well. You may have heard his name, Penn Gillette. Um, he's, uh, he and, and another guy, Penn and Teller, they're an act that's still on TV at times, still very prominent out in Las Vegas. But Penn Gillette is an atheist. And listen to what he has to say. You can see this video on YouTube of this interview. Listen to what he has to say specifically to Christians about evangelism. Remember, he's an atheist, and he says, I've always said, you know, that I don't respect people who don't evangelize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell and, and, or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make you, make you feel socially awkward, well, how much do you have to hate someone not to evangelize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believe beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it and that truck was bearing down on you, there is a certain point where I tackle you to get you out of the way to save you. And this is more important than that. I mean, I think this is coming from an atheist saying that if if the gospel is really true, we are foolish not to share it with others. I'm not saying it's always easy, it's always comfortable. Remember Paul's admonition, preach the word in season and out of season, when it's comfortable, when it's uncomfortable, when it's convenient, when it's inconvenient. And in doing so, we are going to see God work through us in amazing ways that we could never imagine if we didn't persevere to make the most of every opportunity. My prayer is that we would be those men and those women who make the most of every opportunity to share the gospel with those around us. And we're going to see God do amazing things. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you give us the commission to be your ambassadors. Thank you that you enable us to carry your good news into this entire world, the news that true life is found in Jesus Christ, that reconciliation with God is found in Christ alone. God, I know that there are many roadblocks, many fears, many trepidations that hold us back in this. But I pray that you will give us the courage and the motivation that we need to look for those opportunities, to live a lifestyle of pointing people to you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.